Prayer for the Sick The very essence of the gospel is restoration, and the Savior would have his servants bid the sick, the hopeless, and the afflicted take hold upon his strength. God's servants are the channels of his grace, and through them he desires to exercise his healing power. It is their work to present the sick and suffering to the Savior in the arms of faith. They should live so near to him and so clearly reveal in their lives the working of his truth that he can make them a means of blessing to those in need of bodily as well as spiritual healing. It is our privilege to pray with the sick, to help them to grasp the cord of faith. Angels of God are very near to those who thus minister to suffering humanity. The consecrated ambassador of Christ, who, when appealed to by the sick, seeks to fasten their attention upon divine realities, is accomplishing a work that will endure throughout eternity. And as he approaches the sick with the comfort of a hope gained through faith in Christ and acceptance of the divine promises, his own experience becomes richer and still richer in spiritual strength. With awakened conscience, many a troubled soul, suffering bodily ailments as a result of continued transgression, cries out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Make me thy child. It is then that the minister, strong in faith, should be ready to tell the sufferer that there is hope for the penitent, that in Jesus everyone who longs for help and acceptance may find deliverance and peace. He who in meekness and love thus brings the gospel to the afflicted soul, so much in need of its message of hope, is a mouthpiece for the one who gave himself for mankind. As he speaks helpful, appropriate words, and as he offers prayer for the one lying on a bed of suffering, Jesus makes the application. God speaks through human lips. The heart is reached. Humanity is brought into touch with divinity. The minister should understand by experience that the soothing power of the grace of Christ brings health and peace and fullness of joy. He should know Christ as the one who has invited the weary and heavy laden to come to him and find rest. Let him never forget that the Savior's loving presence constantly surrounds every human agent ordained of God for the impartation of spiritual blessing. The remembrance of this will give vitality to his faith and earnestness to his petitions. Then to those who call upon him for help, he can impart the health-giving power of God's truth. He can talk of the works of healing wrought by Christ and direct the minds of the sick to him as the great physician who is light and life as well as comfort and peace. He can tell them that they need not despair, that the Savior loves them, that if they surrender themselves to him, they will have his love, his grace, his keeping power. Let him urge them to rest in God's promises, knowing that he who has given these promises is our best and truest friend. As he endeavors to direct the mind heavenward, he will find that the thought of the tender sympathy of the one who knows just how to apply the healing balm will give the sick a sense of rest and quietude. The divine healer is present in the sick room. He hears every word of the prayers offered to him in the simplicity of true faith. His disciples today are to pray for the sick, as verily as did the disciples of old. And there will be recoveries, for the prayer of faith shall save the sick. James 5:15. In the Word of God, we have instruction relative to special prayer for the recovery of the sick. But the offering of such prayer is a most solemn act, and should not be entered upon without careful consideration. In many cases of prayer for the healing of the sick, 
that which is called faith is nothing less than presumption. Many persons bring disease upon themselves by their self-indulgence. They have not lived in accordance with natural law or the principles of strict purity. Others have disregarded the laws of health and the habits of eating and drinking, dressing or working. Often some form of vice is the cause of feebleness of mind or body. Should these persons gain the blessing of health, many of them would continue to pursue the same course of heedless transgression of God's natural and spiritual laws, reasoning that if God heals them in answer to prayer, they are at liberty to continue their unhealthful practices and to indulge perverted appetite without restraint. If God were to work a miracle in restoring these persons to health, he would be encouraging sin. It is labor lost to teach people to look to God as a healer of their infirmities, unless they are taught also to lay aside unhealthful practices. In order to receive his blessing and answer to prayer, they must cease to do evil and learn to do well. Their surroundings must be sanitary, their habits of life correct. They must live in harmony with the law of God, both natural and spiritual. Subheading, Confession of Sin. To those who desire prayer for their restoration to health, it should be made plain that the violation of God's law, either natural or spiritual, is sin, and that in order for them to receive his blessing, sin must be confessed and forsaken. The scripture bids us, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. James 5.16 To the one asking for prayer, let thoughts like these be presented. We cannot read the heart or know the secrets of your life. These are known only to yourself and to God. If you repent of your sins, it is your duty to make confession of them. Sin of a private character is to be confessed to Christ, the only mediator between God and man. For if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2.1 Every sin is an offense against God and is to be confessed to him through Christ. Every open sin should be as openly confessed. Wrong done to a fellow being should be made right with the one who has been offended. If any who are seeking health have been guilty of evil speaking, if they have sowed discord in the home, the neighborhood, or the church, and have stirred up alienation and dissension, if by any wrong practice they have led others into sin, these things should be confessed before God and before those who have been offended. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. When wrongs have been righted, we may present the needs of the sick to the Lord in calm faith, as his spirit may indicate. He knows each individual by name and cares for each as if there were not another upon the earth for whom he gave his beloved son. Because God's love is so great and so unfailing, the sick should be encouraged to trust in him and be cheerful. To be anxious about themselves tends to cause weakness and disease. If they will rise above depression and gloom, their prospect of recovery will be better, for the eye of the Lord is upon them that hope in his mercy. Psalms 33:18. Subheading, Submission to God's Will. In praying for the sick, it should be remembered that we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Romans 8, 26. 
we do not know whether the blessing we desire will be best or not. Therefore our prayers should include this thought, Lord, Thou knowest every secret of the soul. Thou art acquainted with these persons. Jesus, their advocate, gave His life for them. His love for them is greater than ours can possibly be. If, therefore, it is for Thy glory and the good of the afflicted ones, we ask in the name of Jesus that they may be restored to health. If it be not Thy will that they may be restored, we ask that the, Thy grace may comfort and that Thy presence sustain them in their sufferings. God knows the end from the beginning. He is acquainted with the hearts of all men. He reads every secret of the soul. He knows whether those for whom prayer is offered would or would not be able to endure the trials that would come upon them should they live. He knows whether their lives would be a blessing or a curse to themselves and to the world. This is one reason why, while presenting our petitions with earnestness, we should say, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Luke 22:42. Jesus added these words of submission to the wisdom and will of God when in the Garden of Gethsemane he pleaded, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26:39. And if they were appropriate for him, the Son of God, how much more are they becoming on the lips of finite erring mortals? The consistent course is to commit our desires to our all-wise Heavenly Father and then in perfect confidence trust all to Him. We know that God hears us if we ask according to His will, but to press our petitions without a submissive spirit is not right. Our prayers must take the form not of command but of intercession. There are cases where God works decidedly by His divine power in the restoration of health, but not all the sick are healed. Many are laid away to sleep in Jesus. John, on the Isle of Patmos, was bidden to write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Revelations 14.13 From this we see that if persons are not raised to health, they should not, on this account, be judged as wanting in faith. We all desire immediate and direct answers to our prayers and are tempted to become discouraged when the answer is delayed or comes in an unlooked-for form. But God is too wise and good to answer our prayers, always at just the time and in just the manner we desire. He will do more and better for us than to accomplish all our wishes. And because we can trust His wisdom and love, we should not ask Him to concede to our will, but should seek to enter into and accomplish his purpose. Our desires and interests should be lost in his will. These experiences that test faith offer our benefit. By them, it is made manifest whether our faith is true and sincere, resting on the word of God alone, or whether, depending on circumstances, it is uncertain and changeable. Faith is strengthened by exercise. We must let patience have its perfect work, remembering that there are precious promises in the Scriptures for those who wait upon the Lord. Not all understand these principles. Many who seek the Lord's healing mercy think that they must have a direct and immediate answer to their prayers or their faith is defective. For this reason, those who are weakened by disease need to be counseled wisely that they may act with discretion. They should not disregard their duty to the friends who may survive them 
or neglect to employ nature's agencies for the restoration of health. Often there is danger of error here. Believing that they will be healed in answer to prayer, some fear to do anything that might seem to indicate a lack of faith. But they should not neglect to set their affairs in order as they would desire to do if they expected to be removed by death. Nor should they fear to utter words of encouragement or counsel which at the parting hour they wish to speak to their loved ones. Subheading, Remedial Agencies. Those who seek healing by prayer should not neglect to make use of the remedial agencies within their reach. It is not a denial of faith to use such remedies as God has provided to alleviate pain and to aid nature in a work of restoration. It is no denial of faith to cooperate with God and to place themselves in the condition most favorable to recovery. God has put it in our power to obtain a knowledge of the laws of life. This knowledge has been placed within our reach for use. We should employ every facility for the restoration of health, taking every advantage possible, working in harmony with natural laws. When we have prayed for the recovery of the sick, we can work with all the more energy, thanking God that we have the privilege of cooperating with Him and asking His blessing on the means which He Himself has provided. We have the sanction of the Word of God for the use of remedial agencies. Hezekiah, king of Israel, was sick, and a prophet of God brought him the message that he should die. He cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard his servant, and sent him a message that fifteen years should be added to his life. Now one word from God would have healed Hezekiah instantly, but a special directions were given. Let them take a lump of figs, and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. Isaiah 38:21. On one occasion, Christ anointed the eyes of a blind man with clay, and bade him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. John 9:7. The cure could be wrought only by the power of the great healer, Yet Christ made use of the simple agencies of nature. While he did not give countenance to drug medication, he sanctioned the use of simple and natural remedies. When we have prayed for the recovery of the sick, whatever the outcome of the case, let us not lose faith in God. If we are called upon to meet bereavement, let us accept the bitter cup, remembering that a father's hand holds it to our lips. But should health be restored... It should not be forgotten that the recipient of healing mercy is placed on the renewed obligation to the Creator. When the ten lepers were cleansed, only one returned to find Jesus and give him glory. Let none of us be like the unthinking nine, whose hearts were untouched by the mercy of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James 1, 17.